Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 32 of Superman and Batman, a show featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. This is a show where pretty much each and every episode we look at team-ups between the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight, a pairing that goes all the way back to the 1940s and the Golden Age of Radio, where the two first teamed up on Superman's radio serial. If this is your first episode, welcome to the show. If it isn't, then a big welcome back. Uh, Now, I know the show's been on a bit of a hiatus for a few months, and I will try to talk more about that next time, but right now we're going to just get right into the show because we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, But first, and without more delay, let me introduce my special guest co-host for this episode. He's someone who, well, I've listened to his podcast, but I've never podcasted with him, so welcome to the show, Mr. Aaron Moss. Hey, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for coming on. Uh, So, Aaron, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself and your comics history and the the shows you host? Okay, well, my name's Aaron Moss. Uh, My friends call me Head. Um, I've been reading comics. I've always been a comic superhero fan my entire life, but I didn't get into comics until later on when I was in my late late teens, and then I started backtracking some comics, and since then, that's my life. Uh, I've got two different podcasts. I've got Head Speaks, which is uh, basically where I talk about comics and Star Wars and anything geeky or anything that catches my interest. And then I've got my Task Force X podcast, where I talk about John Ostinger's 80s Suicide Squad. And then eventually I'm going to get to the uh, Checkmate comics also that came out around the same time period. And I'm reviewing them in uh, order as they take place. And other than that, I say I've been a comic fan for years, and I'm Batman and Superman, as probably most people, are the first ones I got into. They're the first ones I remember actually seeing and recognizing, so Mm -hmm. they are part of my gateway drug into comics. Yep. (laughs) They they are – I think people even who – you know. They are the most popular, or maybe not most popular, but most well-known of the comic book characters because they've just been around so long and in, into so many mediums and such. But right, DC's done a good job at marketing them and getting them out there to people uh, yeah. to see. <laughs> yeah. So this episode is part of the Conway crossover, which is a collaboration between about fifteen or twenty shows and blogs to both celebrate the works of Jerry Conway and show support for fair compensation of creators. Um, Earlier this month, this month being May 2015, hello future people, Conway made a post on his blog, which you can find at jerryconway.tumblr.com, where he talked about creator equity and some, let's just say, dubious guidelines and rules that DC was using, or maybe still is using, in regards to that. Um, More information has come to light since then, and, and Conway is kind of walked back some of his comments and because this is a a still evolving story we're not going to get too much into the nuts and bolts of his specific situation on this episode but i do want to encourage you to check out conway's blog the interview he did on the fire and water podcast as well as other shows involved in the crossover Um, and i'll be posting a full list of those at the website greatcrypton.com and you know just get yourself filled in on the situation uh but the big thing for me, and, and I think the reason that it stuck, or struck such a nerve for me, is that 
fans of the show and folks who know me personally know that I'm a big fan of not just Superman, but also his creators, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And Siegel and Schuster ended up having... They ended up finding themselves on the bad end of a lot of deals in their lifetimes. And again, you know, without diving into the specifics of that or who's to blame, I think it's important to remember that we all love comics. And the men and women behind those might have been paid for their contributions per the terms of their contracts, but their stories and their creations have made billions for the companies that own them, and more importantly, have brought untold joy and entertainment to people around the world of, of all ages and all walks of life. So while comic companies might not have a legal obligation to creators, I think they have a, a moral obligation to do to, to reasonably do what they can to help creators. And Amen. I, and I know that these are businesses that are looking out for their bottom line, and I can't blame them for that. I mean, that's that's what they have to do. But at the same time, it it, it kind of gets under my skin when I find out that the creators are made to jump through a lot of hoops and you know navigate sketchy guidelines only to find out that certain rules end in kind of a catch-22 where nobody is compensated. Um, and, and as far as the fans go, you know, I, I think it's important for us to look beyond the page of the stories that we enjoy and celebrate those that are putting those stories together and, and show appreciation for them and their works and to let them know as best we can that we enjoy their offerings and just how much they've meant to us in our lifetimes. So, and, and all of that brings us to the Conway crossover, which, as I said, is as much a celebration of Jerry Conway and his works as anything else. So did you have anything? I've, I've kind of monologued there for a little bit, but uh, no problem. Hey, it's your show. Uh, you could you you can monologue all you want. No, I'm on, no. Actually, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, I, I've got issues with some of the you know uh, the heirs of some of the creators coming back saying, "Well, my parents did this, so I want money for that." Mm-hmm. I've got issues with that, but what you said is exactly right. I mean, a lot of these guys they signed contracts, and the contracts, while they may have been withheld to the letter of the law. The spirit of it and the spirit of what they were doing is kind of been left behind, and the big corporations, the the ones with the money, and are making the money off these characters, seem to forget where all these ideas came from and the inspiration for this stuff originated. So I have to agree with you 100 percent on that. That you know, as fans, we need to remember, and not just as we've talked about earlier, not just the big two, Stanley. And uh, Bob Kane, but there's hundreds of other creators out there right. that you know people know the characters, but they don't know the creators. And as far as you know, the big two go, you know, they don't really care. Or so it seems to me, they don't care so much about people knowing the creators as long as they get their their characters out there and can make the money off of it. But we need to remember that these creators are the ones that created these characters and the ones that's given us these decades of enjoyment mm-hmm. of great stories. Even the bad stories, you had some good stories in there. So, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> and it's not necessarily just the ones that created... Like, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster created Superman. It's, you know, Jerry Conway, who wrote the story we're going to look at. Or, you know, Dan Jurgens who had a long run writing and drawing Superman. It's, oh, yeah. It's those, those, that, those types of folks, too. So Most definitely. Um, but as part of this crossover, each podcast or blog is looking at the works of Jerry Conway... 
and we have decided to look at World's Finest Comics number... What number is this? <laughs> World's Finest Comics number 269. Um, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the issue was released on March 19th, 1981. It's got 48 pages and a June-July 1981 cover date, and it was part of DC's Dollar Comics line. So the cover price is one whole dollar. And our cover is by Rich Buckler and Dick Giordano, and shows Superman descending into a graveyard and telling the gathered heroes, including Green Arrow, Robin, Captain Marvel, Hawkman, and Red Tornado, that he's been unable to locate Batman. And meanwhile, we have an arrow directing us to the bottom of the cover, where we see and read that Batman has been buried alive. <laughs> so what do you think of this cover, Aaron? I, I think it's a great cover. Like I said earlier, I didn't get into actual comics until I was a bit older, so I, I missed a lot of these when they first came out. I did backtrack some of these later on to read. Uh, this, The World's Finest, I read some of the later uh, issues. Uh, looking at this, I mean, at first, when I first saw the, I read, I saw the cover, I read the story that we're going to cover. I got to look at the cover again. I got to think, wait a minute. Well, they show Green, Ar- Green Arrow, Hawkman, Shazam, and Red Tornado, but they don't appear in the story. And it took me a minute or two to realize, wait a minute, they're the backup stories. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're shown on the cover. I'm like, wait, they're not in the Just League's not in there. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, that's why they're there. But otherwise, yeah, I thought it was a great cover. It's a very, to me, it's a very classic uh, cover. I mean, you've got Superman, like you, as you said, flying down amongst other heroes. Announce them. Batman's buried beneath them in a coffin. It's just a classic. It's a great cover. I, I really like this one. The artwork's on it. Fantastic. Yeah. It's just lovely. Uh, what you said about all the characters appearing there, that's really my only complaint about it, is that it's kind of a lot misleading. Um, I think if I was a nine-year-old in 1981 and plunked down my hard-earned allowance to, to buy this and I would expect to see them all together, and then I'd be really disappointed. But right, and that's again, I'm 45, and when I first, you know, pulled this up to read it, I saw, I'm like, oh, okay, they're all going to appear in it, and yeah. I read the first story, I'm like, okay, then I went through and read the tornado story, and went back to the cover, looked at it again, I'm like, well, they just like didn't show up. Why are they showing all them guys on there for? <laughs> oh well, okay, yeah, that's stupid. It's, they're the backup stories, okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's still a good cover. Uh, turning inside, credits for our 14-page lead story are Jerry Conway, writer, Rich Buckler and Frank McLaughlin, artist, Jay Costanza, letterer, Carl Gafford, colorist, and Jack C. Harris, editor. And this is actually one of the final books that Harris edited for DC because he stepped away from that role, uh, I think to focus more on the writing side of stuff. But our story is titled Buried Alive. Batman, the Dark Knight, awakens in a damp, dark, and confined box. He soon realizes is a buried coffin. Shaking off the sick horror, the caped crusader finds his center, smiles, and begins planning his escape. In Gotham City, Superman and Commissioner Gordon exchange tense words, with both men frustrated at the helplessness they feel in finding their missing friend. Robin, too, has come up empty-handed, when a call comes in about a man atop the Metropolis Bridge, claiming he's kidnapped Batman and demanding a $10 million ransom within 12 hours, or Batman will die. Superman grabs Robin and flies faster than a speeding bullet to the scene. Superman confronts the madman, but is unable to do anything because the man is wired with dynamite. The man tells how he kidnapped Batman after causing the Cape Crusader to wreck the Batmobile, and the madman, or and as the madman is distracted, 
Robin approaches from behind and attempts to take him down. Unfortunately, the plan backfires, as the man detonates the dynamite, killing himself and gravely injuring Robin. Superman rushes the boy Wonder to the hospital, waiting by his side through the night, while the doctors perform surgery and save Robin's life. Morgan Edge shows up, exchanging tense words with Gordon for no real reason in particular, other than to be a reason for Jimmy Olsen to also be there and give Superman someone to talk to. But, as Superman commiserates with his pal, and yes, Professor Allen and Emily, I said pal, the Man of Steel reflects on the Batman's words, soon figuring out where Batman must be. Speeding towards Metropolis Cemetery, Superman locates a freshly dug grave. But as Superman tears into the plot in a lead-lined coffin, he is shocked to find it empty. And even more shocked, but overjoyed as well, when Batman surprises him from behind. The world's finest heroes return to the hospital, and after Batman explains how he used his training to dig his way out of the grave, Robin confesses that Batman truly is the world's greatest escape artist. The end. Yeah, so this was a fun one. Yes, it was. Now, there's not a lot of story, per se, and, and unfortunately for, for this show, which likes to focus on the team-ups between Superman and Batman, there's not really much of a team-up between Superman and Batman, but seeing <laughs> no, Robin and work together is always nice, and it was just a, just a fun, short little story. Yeah, no, yeah, one was buried for most of the, uh, the issue, but, so yeah, it wasn't much of a team-up. Right. <laughs> uh, but I liked seeing... Uh, all their characters kind of get a moment to shine, and, and I thought they were well-written. And You know, sometimes you want the big blockbuster-style story with Superman and Batman fighting the composite Superman or the Joker or whoever, but sometimes just a simple story like this just hits the right spot, and, and for me, this one definitely did. Almost definitely. Uh, so you ready to get into the page-by-page? Page? Yes. All right. Yes, uh, I am. Where, where is your first note? Uh, my first note is the second page... Uh, where Batman's buried alive. Mm-hmm. I, I just I like the fact that you know Batman's making a joke, but you know he wakes up in a coffin. Most people are going to freak out. Batman, as you said earlier, kind of just grins. He makes a joke about wanting some peace and quiet. I, I really like that. That yeah. little you know the way that's written there. Yeah, I'm a I'm a touch claustrophobic. I'm not it's not bad, and I, I even kind of feel bad saying that I'm claustrophobic because it's it's not at all you know like a crippling thing at all but but one of my like more minor fears is actually being buried alive so this opening kind of got to me uh but that said i really love the thought process he has you know like you said he 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 has the fear and the panic and then he he just centers himself smiles and gets to work and i i love that depiction of batman most definitely and then at the bottom of that page, when they show Superman and Gordon, uh-huh. I, I don't know if that's a bit of super dickery going on there, but <laughs> he's kind of given Gordon, you know, Batman's a, a world famous hero, and he's given Gordon, who's just, you know, the police commissioner, a hard time about Batman not showing up at their meeting. Yeah. It's yeah. like, a little harsh. I understand you're missing your buddy, but yeah. it's a little harsh on Gordon. <laughs> I, I had a, a similar note. I mean, he's been gone for less than a day at this point. So maybe the the reactions are a little over the top because surely he's been gone longer than that in the past. But at the same time, maybe the lack of, of notice in advance and no response from the JLA communicator or whatever, you know, or whatever uh, tech that Batman and Robin use, right. has has heightened their uh, sensitivity to it. But 
I don't know the the the, emo- the emotion and the urgency of the situation. I think is the important part here, and, and Conway hit that pretty well. Almost definitely. And then on the next page, Superman, you know, he apologizes for right. So it's not too far. I just I for when I first read that, I'm like, wow, that's kind of you know, you're the hero, and you come in here, you know, yelling at one of the cops about <laughs> Batman disappearing. You know, I just thought that was a little. But I do see where you're coming from. That yeah, it is it's wants to show the urgency and how important it is that Batman is missing. Mm-hmm. Um, my next note isn't till over on page six. Okay, I got a copy. Just again, when uh, I like the, at the end of page three when Robin swings into the room. I always like that when Batman Robin just swings in the room out right. of nowhere. That's always nice. And then on uh, page four at the bo- bottom where the. Uh, the cops talking to Gordon and telling him, you know, that there's this guy on top of uh, the building saying that if he doesn't get to, what is it, $10 million, Batman will die in less than 12 hours. Uh-huh. I thought that was very dramatic and it may seem kind of corny, but I like it myself. I, it just seems very dramatic and very, very comic booky. Yeah. It, it is mm, corny, <laughs> corny sound. I, I feel like calling it corny. Might be sounded sounding like we are being uh, critical of the story, but I think it's oh, very much all. very much of the time, and it, it's, yes. it's fitting from nineteen a story from nineteen eighty one. Yeah, the seventies so, and eighties. A lot right. of the stories were corny. And yeah, when I say corny, I don't mean in a bad way. Right, I mean, it can be taken bad, but you know, I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, page six. This poor guy was doomed as soon as he took off Batman's mask because that oh, yeah. never ends well. Yeah, I've got that same note here on. Uh, I've got it from page eight. That, yeah, we say he saw under Batman mask. Yeah, I knew he was dead before the story was gonna be over. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many times do you see you know someone finds out the secret identity of somebody and then they live beyond that story? It's not retconned out or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I do love the irony um, in that last uh, the last couple panels. There, he's ranting and he's talking about uh, basically he's he's saying he's as smart as the heroes and that the heroes often forget about the small-time crooks like him, you know, the small-timers. All the while, he's completely, you know, he's, he's prepared to hold off Superman with this dynamite, but he's completely ignored Robin, a far <laughs> less powerful hero, and that's his undoing. So yes. I, I love the of, irony of that. Uh, yeah, kind of ironic. And on the page before that, when uh, I also want to mention, I, I do like how Gordon is not a passive commissioner, Unlike uh, the Dozers, the 1966 Batman, who, you know, anything come up, they like, oh, darn, there's a bad guy. Let's call Batman. Right. This Gordon, he's, you know, he, Batman's in trouble. He's going to take off to Gotham to see what he can do. Yes. I thought that was very nice. Um, page yes. seven? Okay. This, this, is, <laughs> this might be a lame way for Batman to go out, but again, yeah. it's the emotion and the drama of the situation. So it's... I'm glad that Conway didn't spend too much time on the how we got to here. He just had to quickly explain how Batman was kidnapped, basically. Yeah, yeah. I've got a similar note that you know, to me, I'm like, well, it seems like Batman should have had airbags or something in the Batmobile. Mm-hmm. But then again, from this 1981, you know, I wasn't quite sure when airbags first came out, so I had to actually look it up, and I found out there were tests in the 70s. They were weren't used until the late 80s and early 90s. So, oh, okay. I guess that could explain why. The Batmobile doesn't have airbags because people didn't really know much about them at the time. Right. But as you said, and I thought, you know, like I say, my first point was uh, it's kind of easy to take out Batman. But then, again, the important part of the story is not so much that Batman got taken out or how he got taken out. Just the fact that he was 
captured by this guy. Right. It's it's more about the the, the present situation and not really how we got there. So right. Uh, page eight. I haven't said much about the art, but that's not to discount Rich Buckler because I love Rich Buckler. It's just as there's not been a whole lot uh, standout in this issue. It's just you know. It, it works, and that's that's about it. But this page eight here is a great page. Uh, you can take away the dialogue, and you can still read the page the exact same way. It's an almost perfect example of the artistic side of comic book storytelling. Oh, very much. I, I like the art in this issue. Uh, like I say, it's not it's not George Perez or you know one of the, the greats, but mm-hmm. it's very good artwork. And like you said, especially this page here, you can tell. Yeah, you remove all the dialogue. And you can still see what's going on with this. My other note on this page is the very the very last panel there. Uh, not the last time that a robin's going to be caught in an explosion. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little I, dark, but you know. Uh, how far... Let's see, that was in 1988 or 8, 9. 1988. Okay, so we're, 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 we're a ways away from that then. Yeah, we're seven, eight years away from... Uh, again, I don't know if there's any stories in between where he gets caught, but yeah, we're... About seven, eight years before the next really big Robin explosion. Hmm. (laughs) Um, Pages 10 and 11, I kind of poked fun of it in the synopsis, but this dust-up between Morgan Edge and Commissioner Gordon isn't at all necessary. The only thing it does, and, and I will give it credit for this, is that it introduces Jimmy into the scene, which leads to a nice moment between him and Superman. Right. Yeah, at first I was, I was a little worried for Morgan when, you know, Superman told, you know, Gordon, you know, you go and take off with Robin, let me handle this. And you can kind of turn that, looks on, that look on his face, like, as for you, I'm like, oh, oh no, what's he going to do to Morgan? <laughs> and he just keep away from me, just kind of turns away from right. him, like, eh, a little, it's like he was building up to something, and then just kind of, just keep away from me, mm-hmm. he walks away. I thought it was a little anti-dramatic, but as you said, it's to get him and Jimmy together. Right. And Which, it, he he might be acting a little out of character compared to how he's usually portrayed, but I I liked seeing the more human side of of his emotions and his reactions. Oh, yeah. most definitely. That's that's the best part about Superman when you got an alien with, I think at this time almost unlimited, unlimited power. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. seeing his humanity and the human side of him is one thing that makes it that much better. Right. You know, Batman's missing. Robin's near death, and, and he's just at his wit's end, and I, you know, we've all been there. Uh, so it, it's and, and, and then it's good to see Jimmy trying to help his friend. I really like those scenes as well. Oh yeah, and what my next note here is on the top of page eleven. Uh, Superman's got super strength. He's got you know all these superpowers. He's supposed to have super intelligence, <laughs> but at this point, it seems like Jimmy is smarter than Superman. I mean, he's the one that you know he, he figured out not exactly where Batman's at, but he figured out where Batman's out, how long he has to live. Right, by just paying attention, I'm just like I, I like that. But my first thought is the kind of thing is like, well, so Jimmy's the one that actually saved the day, <laughs> or you know, he's going to have a hand in yep. helping out. <laughs> um, I guess that's my next. Until we get to the end of the story, pages thirteen and fourteen. I guess that's really all I had to say about it. Did you, did you have anything on? Uh... No, my next one again is on page thirteen. Okay, and just you know the shot of. Uh, the first panel there on page, I think it's page 13, uh, Batman, Superman. Yeah. I just love the way that's drawn. Mm-hmm. With the moon behind Batman's head? Yes. Yeah. To, to me, it's a very classic, you know, Batman in his blue and gray. And Superman, just, yeah, it's a classic of the moon behind Batman's head. 
I just love this one scene right here. Mm-hmm. And the one after it with Superman flying out, petting his hand on Batman's shoulder. Yeah. It's just a <laughs> Superman classic. smiling and Batman smiling and Robin smiling and Superman and Batman as friends. As folks who have heard me talk on this show about the relationship know, I really like Superman and Batman being friends and partners, not just partners. So this was just a really a good ending to the story. Yeah, no, I don't mind the mind the more current. Uh, I don't mind the mo- more modern take on it, where you know they are they have different styles. One's dark, one's bright. Mm-hmm. But like you, part of me really likes the the Superman and Batman world's finest. The two great, not again, not just teammates, but friends. Right. And while I do like you know them butting heads at times and the two different sides of them, another part of me really likes these older stories where they're actually best friends and. You can tell by the way you know they act with each other that they're friends and not just teammates. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, do you have anything else on this story? I feel like we haven't uh, really talked about it too much, but well, again, you know, like you said, it's not too much story wise. Right. It, it's it, but as you also as you said, it is a great Jerry Conway story. I yes. mean, it's it's more of a humanistic side. We see more of the humanistic side of Superman, and. Uh, like my other note on this is the very last, as you, you pointed out in your synopsis, the very last panel, it seems very classic uh, Silver Agey to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Silver Agey is a word, but I'm going to make one up right now. It, it can be a word now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like the way that, you know, they're standing around talking, someone makes a little quip, and, you know, like you said, Robin's like, you really are the world's greatest escape artist. Superman's like, hey, man, <laughs> I'm just waiting for one of them to look over and wink at us. Yeah. That's all it's meant. But no, other than that, no, I again, not again, not to knock. I don't want that to come across as I didn't like it. I, oh no, I it, was, it was it was classic. Really a fun story. Then the right above that, I do have a note about Batman digging his way out of the coffin like he did. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's actually possible to dig your way out of the coffin like he did there. But then again, he is Batman. He is the Batman. So I mean, if anyone can do it, Batman can. <laughs> Well, I think we're going to take a little break and play a couple promos, and then we'll be back for a look at the rest of the issue. Tangent, an abrupt change of course. Tangent, to go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent, a comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names. I'm waking up to action dust. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust. I'm breathing in the chemicals. Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. 
Find it bi-weekly on iTunes and at greatcrypton.com. In the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. A secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't... You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X, and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall! If you're looking to read this for yourself and can't find the original issue... This story has been reprinted in the Strange Deaths of Batman trade paperback. Um, as this was a part of the Dollar Comics era for the title, there are no ads. It even says so right on the cover. No ads. Non-stop cover-to-cover action. But we do have several other features, including an eight-page Green Arrow story by Zany Bob Haney, Trevor Von Eden, and Brett Breeding, an eight-page Hawkman story by Answer Man Bob Rosakis, Alex Saviuk and Roden Rodriguez, and a 10-page Captain Marvel, sto- oh, sorry, Captain Marvel Jr. story by E. Nelson Bridwell, Don Newton, and Dan Adkins, and an 8-page Red Tornado story written by Jerry Conway. Now, we normally on the show don't spend a lot of time looking at the backups, but because we are celebrating all things Jerry Conway, we're going to take a closer look at this one. So, just consider it a, a, a bonus treat. Uh, but credits for this story, aside from Jerry Conway's writer, are Jose Delbo and Joe Gaella artists, Todd Klein letterer, C. Gafford colorist, and Jack C. Harris editor. And the story is titled, All the Bits and Pieces of My Life. In his workshop, the android hero Red Tornado works to repair a flaw in his inner mechanism that is resulting in spasms, which is causing him to slowly lose control. Unable to contact his JLA teammates, Tornado assumes the human guise of John Smith and heads out to a nearby electronics electronics shop for parts. However, the owner of the shop, Arnold Tracy, is being held at gunpoint by a terrorist leader calling herself Madame Redclaw and a nameless thug who want Tracy to build them a bomb. As his spasms worsen, Tornado walks into the shop and is immediately cold-cocked. He feigns unconsciousness until the terrorists threaten to kill the shop owner. Fighting through his malfunctions and a hail of bullets, Red Tornado attacks the thugs, 
and with an, uh, with an assist from the shopkeeper, is able to take out the henchman. Unfortunately, the lack of control prevents him from going after Madame Redclaw, who is able to make an escape when Tracy finds himself unable to shoot her in cold blood. Tracy apologizes for letting her get away, and Tornado consoles him, saying not to apologize for what makes him human. Then, acting as a shoulder to lean on, Tracy and Tornado walk off into the sunset to get Tornado the help he needs. The end. So what did you think about this one? Uh, I get a, it's Jerry Conway, so I can't say anything bad about it. <laughs> uh, but no, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the story. Um, I just have a few notes on this one. I mean, uh, I do like, the, you know, Red Tornado becomes the master of exposition, and he takes a page from Stanley's book and fills us what's going on. In case you have been following Red Tornado, you know where he's at in his station in life. You know, he says in the dialogue that he's no longer at the Justice League satellite, he's with Nancy's son, and he's hanging out this this little motel room wherever it is here. So I like that part of it. Mm-hmm. I just, my question is, uh, I mean, he has to call a, a local electronics place. I mean, I know his, he makes comment that his communicator's not working. His, uh, he can't activate his uh, controls for the teleportation tube. I just surprised he doesn't have Batman or Superman's phone number on speed dial or something. Mm. And he's got to call That's some random. Point. But Although, again, go ahead. Again, I mean, I understand it's just for the point of the story. And again, much like last time, it's not so much a lot of the small details about, but it's just how he gets to where he's at. So I, I right. went with it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one too. And maybe it's because I'm more used to modern comics where. You know, even in the rare uh, standalone story we get, things are fairly decompressed. But Conway packs a lot of, not necessarily story, but but ideas and emotion and character into this one. And again, oh, very much so. Similar to the first story, even though the plot is pretty simple, it's the character and emotion that really stand out for me. Yes. Um, virtually my my only real exposure to Red Tornado, and part of the reason Aaron did, you know, volunteered to come on. To the show with me is because I'm not really versed in Red Tornado. I mean, at least this iteration of the character. Um, I had the Superpowers action figure when I was a kid. Oh, nice. And I've read uh, his appearances in Justice League up to about the mid-70s. But that's really all I know about the character. So it's hard for me to say if this is a good portrayal or not. But I do like the idea of him fighting through the mechanical issues to save the shop owner and I liked the uh, the sentiment at the end of them helping each other out, and I just I like the story as a whole. Um, if you told me that other Red Tornadoes struck this tone, I'd definitely be interested in reading them. Well, I say I, I've I haven't read a lot of his earlier appearances that you've talked about, but I have read a lot of the stuff from the '80s onward. Okay, and yeah, this is very Red Tornado. Uh, the characterization is very much in character for him. This is an accurate representation of Red Tornado. Red is he had a mini series that explores humanity, uh, and then he's had you know he's appeared in Firestorm and a few other books here and there. And this this is a very good. I'm going to make some comments about the dialogue and about some of the other stuff. But as far as the uh, the characterization of Red Tornado, it's it's very it's very good. Cool. So yeah, this is a very fair, very Conway had him right on the nose. As far as Red Claw, Madam Red Claw, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. As her, again, this is the '80s, so we're looking at it 30, 40 years in the future. But yeah, she's—I think she's a very, very bad villain. 
she's very stereotypical. Yeah, there's not a lot of depth there. I mean, yeah, she's, I, you know, I say she's a bad villain, but she is. I mean, you know, she, I call her common, you know, capitalist and greedy merchant class, capitalist mm-hmm. masters, and all that. It's very, she's very one dimensional. But seeing how I don't know if she ever appears again, I guess you don't need much more <laughs> from her. I did some looking and I couldn't find where she appeared after this. So, so yeah, she may have just been something Jerry wrote up for this story. And again, she serves the purpose. Uh, and I do like how uh, after uh, Arnold Tracy, he stayed, you know, stayed, stayed around instead of running away when Red Renale saved him, and he's. She's like, the merchant greed should have led him to save his own life. I just thought that was very, very 80s, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> very stereotypical of the, yeah, again, of the very, time. Yeah. Very Cold War, very, very, yeah, very much so. And like I say, some of the dialogue is, to me, it's kind of clunky. But then again, as I said earlier, it is the 80s, uh, the early 80s, mm-hmm. late 70s. So in a little, that's the dialogue that was around in the time. You know, a lot of the stories from this time had similar dialogue, especially for foreign characters that were the bad guys. So I say, well, the dialogue was a little clunky in places. I enjoyed the story. Yeah. So it's Red Tornado. It's Jerry Conway. Uh, again, we didn't say much about the art. The art was very good. I mean, it wasn't fantastic, but again, I've seen a whole lot worse. Right. <laughs> it did the job. One thing I, I thought was it stuck out to me about the art. Um, on page five... We get this scene where he's walking through uh, town to get to the electronics shop, and he passes by this guy in a fedora who's reading a book called Tales of a Married Man. Right. And I looked up to see if that was an actual book or, or what that was supposed to be, because it's, it's very forefront in the panel, like it's an Easter egg or something that's supposed to be important. I couldn't find anything on it, so I'm not sure why that sticks out so much to me, but... Yeah, those two, those two guys there in the front, and the one guy that's reading the book, and his, I don't know if it's his buddy or whoever's sitting next to him looking at him mm-hmm. lovingly. I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, I'm not sure if that's supposed to represent someone at DC. So a lot of times they'd throw the artist, you know, t- for generic people, they would take, you know, people they knew from the office and right. throw them in. So I don't know if that's an Easter egg from someone at, the, at the DC at the time. But like I said, yeah, that was very prominent in, in the forefront of that, of that panel. Yeah. But, but you know that aside, the, the, like you said, the art was perfectly serviceable. Not anything uh, outstanding or stellar, but but certainly nothing that I would complain about either. So, right, I wouldn't point this out as a great, you know, yeah. If you want a great artwork, read the story. But again, I have seen a lot of stories that the artwork detracts from the story. This was not one of them. No, no. And I, I found it interesting um, that both the Conway stories here in this issue were very. Uh, I'm going to use the word simple, but again, that's not a negative thing. Um, simple, human, emotional stories. Yes. You know, we've got Batman being buried alive and then having Superman react to that in a very human way. And then in the Red Tornado story, we've got him dealing with his own problems and then basically helping out Tracy the same way Tracy is, is um, helping him and, and treasuring the the hum, human friendships there so yeah that's one of the notes i have it seems like the moral of the story is about humanity and like they're at the last where uh, red tornado's leaning on arnold and uh arnold's telling him you know pal what are people what else are people for right so i, I like that and again yeah I, I haven't read the rest of the stories in here 
I haven't either. <laughs> I haven't had time, but I just read these two. But yeah, I, I do like the fact that they both have the same. Well, maybe not necessarily the morals, but they both have are, are similar in their. As you said, they're both focusing on humanity and how the heroes react to humanity, mm-hmm. and we see the, the human side of these characters. Right. So, whatever else bad I may say about this one story, it was a good story. And again, as I said, it's Jerry Conway. I can't really say anything bad about it. <laughs> right. Um, normally, on this show, or at this point in the show, we will look at the other books that came out. Uh, we'll, we'll go through the list at Mike's, and just I'll just talk about anything else that kind of strikes my fancy. We're not going to do that this time, but I did want to point out how much... Jerry Conway was writing for DC at this point. Um, I'm looking at his list of credits on Mike's Amazing World right now. And just books with a June or July 1981 cover date. He's got stories in Flash, which is the Firestorm backup. He was on Justice League of America, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman. He had a story in House of Mystery. He was writing uh, Legion of Superheroes. And then he had a story in Batman 337. The previous he had two stories in that issue. He, he was just writing so much at this point that it, it, it astounds me. And you'd think writing so much it would suffer, but mm-hmm. and again, I mean, a lot of the, like these two are short stories. They're, you know, the ones that what was it a fourteen page story and then an eight page story. Right. That's almost a full issue there. So I mean, right. Plus all these other, you know, the Firestorm backup. Yay, Firestorm. I'm sorry. The Firestorm backup in uh, Justice League. Again, another backup. But, again, a lot of backup stories. But from what I've seen, even though he's writing quite a bit, the writing not doesn't suffer from it. Right. And he was on Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and the Justice League. So, like, the, right. the top four flagship characters or teams of the DC line, which is pretty impressive to be on all four of those at one time. Oh, yeah, no, that, that, that's why he is Jerry Conway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, But that's all I got, so, Aaron, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Why don't you tell the folks where they can find you and, and your shows and anything you got online? Well, again, the, the main place you can find me is at my website, headspeaks.com. Uh, from there, you can find my regular website plus my links to my uh, headcast, both my Task Force X and my Head Speaks. And those are both available on iTunes and Stitcher Plus or Stitcher Radio. Cool. And, and they're both they're both mostly monthly when I can get them out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also don't forget that this episode is part of the Conway crossover. And I will put a list of shows that are contributing to that in the show notes for this episode and I'll keep updating that as the month goes on because uh, it, it's going to be going on for about the last three weeks of May because we've all got different schedules and it, we wanted to, to extend the celebration as long as possible um, as I, I said oh, sorry go I ahead hope, no problems about that I, was, I, hope to have, I hope to have both mine out this next week or so Okay, it'll be episodes uh Episode 11 of Head Speaks and episodes 10 of Task Force X. What are you going to be looking uh, at in each of those? In Head Speaks, I'm going to briefly cover uh, 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 Jerry's blog post about the whole controversy. I'm just going to touch on that briefly. And then I'm going to cover Firestorm issues 1 and 2 of the original run. Okay. And then in Task Force X, 
I am going to cover Action Comics uh, 5... Oh, I think I would know that. I think it was 529. It was the first appearance of Vixen. Ooh, okay. So Superman yeah, shows up in that. So I said, uh, yes, I uh, wanted to find something. Jerry didn't really do much with Suicide Squad, but like I said, he did, he did write and help create Vixen, mm-hmm. who later on becomes uh, a member of the team. So I figured I'd cover her for it. Actually, it's Action Comics 521. Right. I was looking to make sure it's 521. Is one of my cover for Task Force X, and uh, that should do it. Very cool. You know, as I said, I, I realized that as a fan of Superman and Batman, especially Superman, and, and knowing what Siegel and Schuster went through, and as far as Batman is concerned, knowing that Bill Finger still isn't you know properly credited, much less not not properly credited in print, much less financially during his lifetime for his contributions to Batman. I realize I'm a little touchier on this subject than some other people might be, but fair compensation of creators is really important. I mean, these men and women who have created and produced comics for the past 80 years have provided us with countless hours of fun and entertainment and joy, and it would be great to see the companies just give them a little kickback on that and to make sure that they have a a comfortable life and can enjoy the fruits of their labors. And... You know, not only that, but we the fans should always do whatever we can to make sure creators know how much their work has meant to us as well. Um, there have been times in my life when my weekly dose of Superman comics has been the only constant in my life. So, <laughs> you know, we've gone on, but I'm sure I'm not alone in that type of sentiment. So, check out the other shows and, and let the comics companies know your thoughts and, and do what you can to support the creators on your own. Um, even if it's through groups like the, the Hero Initiative or the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund or just going to a con and shaking their hand or sending them an email letting them know, you know, I, I guarantee you that they'll really appreciate the support. I agree. Hey, I don't know when there will be another episode of this particular show. Hopefully soon, but no promises. Uh, but until then, thank you very much for joining us. Aaron, a big thank you again. Oh, no, thank you for having me. And I'll see you next time. Bye. listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. 
Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. song for this episode was My Hero by Foo Fighters from their 1997 album The Color and the Shape. If you like this or other music heard in the show, support the artist by buying the music. And the best way to do that is by visiting 2TrueFreaks.com. Click on the banner in the upper left corner of the site and be redirected to Amazon.com. Buy an MP3 or physical copy of the song and 2TrueFreaks will get a little kickback on every purchase. So not only will you be getting good tunes, but you'll be helping out some of the hardest working folks in podcasting. And best of all, it won't cost you anything extra. <laughs>